Turn, if you would, in your Bibles for an opening passage of Scripture to Ephesians. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 4. I'd like us to take a look at what church is all about, just very briefly, as we introduce our services this morning, to help set our minds and get prepared for what we will receive this day. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, where our brother Paul tells us, And he, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why did the Lord give those? Why, why these particular gifts are listed for us? For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the ministry's work. That's what God gave ministers for, is to perfect saints and to build up his churches. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal of the ministry. That's what a pastor's job is. Back there in that first, in verse 11, where it talks about some pastors and teachers because of the connection here and other passages, we see that as not two different offices. That's one office. A pastor, one who takes care of sheep. Well, we're the Lord's sheep. And how does he do that? He does that through teaching, through explaining what the faith of Jesus Christ is. A minister's goal is that we, as a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, be unified in the faith. That we all believe and understand and practice the same thing. That we should be, how does it describe, unto a perfect man. Notice first before I say that, we're to be in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The big aim for everything we do here is the glory of Jesus Christ. He's the one who saved us from our sins. He's the King of glory. He's the one, as we see in just a second, the rest of the verse, that we're supposed to be like. We have a pattern, brethren, that we're to follow. The ultimate pattern is Jesus Christ. He was the perfect man. He was God and man together. So in him we can see in human form the perfect character of our God. That's what we're to aim for. That's what a church is all about. That all of us should be little walking epistles of Jesus Christ. And we've been taught that in the past. The job of the ministry is to help us through the teaching of the faith, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ we obtain through their ministries, that we would be complete and mature unto a perfect man. That's what the word perfect means, is complete. doesn't mean that we don't have any faults or flaws in us, because as human beings we will. But it means that we should be reflecting every aspect of the character of our God, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Brethren, that's why we're assembled this day. That's why we're assembled every Sunday. But as we enter in this service today, I want you to have that in mind. The Lord has, as part of the proof of our brother's ministry, 
There are about seven men who will be speaking to you today in his absence. That's part of the, the job of the ministry is be able to teach others to be able to teach his doctrine. If nothing else, every man in this congregation who is a husband should be able to teach his wife. Every man in this congregation who is a father should be able to teach his wife and his children the things of God. And we're blessed that we're in a congregation where we will have seven men this Sunday, and I believe it's eight next Sunday. And we could multiply that out where there are other Sundays as well, who will be able to stand before you and give a portion of God's Word and give you the sense, give you the understanding of what God intends by that. I hope you've been in prayer leading up to this service for those men because just as we pray for our pastor, they need our prayers as well. It's a serious job to stand up here and to give forth the Word of God. I'll share with you something, brethren. I get excited about times like this for a couple of reasons. One, as I've already mentioned, this is a proof of our brother's ministry, of what he's been able to do, the fact that there are men in his absence who will be able to tell us things from God's Word that we can all profit from. That's the way it should be in any New Testament church. I'm thankful because the Lord is so glorious and so great that He can put thoughts from His book. You know, there's only so many words in this book. But He can have, because of the different experiences that He gives to each of us, because of the different ways in which He works in all of our lives, that we'll be able to hear seven different perspectives from God's Word this day. Because of how the Lord has dealt with each of the men who will be speaking to us. I mean, it's a multifaceted thing of God's truth. So, so being able to hear some different perspectives on it is a wonderful thing. I am thankful also, though, because each of the men who are doing that today and those who will be speaking to us next Sunday, and even those of you who won't be speaking either of these Sundays, you all realize by having gone through a, an experience like this, of having to stand up in front of a congregation, it helps you understand better the task that our brother goes through each Sunday. I know many of you have a, have a, a little concern and fear at standing up in front of an audience, which is natural, and the ability to do that is something that comes with practice. You young men who are doing this, You'll be getting some of that practice over the next two, few weeks. It's a good thing to do. It'll stand you well for your role as men in the future. But it also will give all of us a better feeling for the things that our pastor has to go through each Sunday for us. You know, you may have taken hours to get prepared for your 10-minute that you're going to give us today or next Sunday. Just multiply that out by the 30 or 40 or 45 minutes that he has to do twice each Sunday and Wednesday nights. And that gives you a better feel for what he has to go through. It's a wonderful thing that the Lord has given us, brethren, called the Church of Jesus Christ. We all have a part to play in it. And I look forward to hearing, as I hope you do too, what these brothers have ready for us this day. Let's go to his service now with prayer as we open up. <clears throat> Our most gracious, kind, and loving Father, we thank you so much for the pattern that you established here in your word for us. Yes. We're thankful, Lord, that you have sent ministers 
in the past and in this day, Lord, to teach and guide and direct your sheep in the word of God so that we can know the truth of Jesus Christ, so that we can know the blessings that we have for us when we're obedient to you. We can thank, thank you, Lord, that you have revealed your will to us and how we can become more like you. Help us to that end this day, Lord. Bless all the men who will be speaking, that their words, Lord, would be that which you have provided for them. Lord, that they would be able to speak them boldly and with confidence. And Lord, that our hearts would be prepared and ready to receive this message. For Lord, whether it be the pastor that you've sent us, or these brothers who are going to share things with us this day, Lord, if it's the truth, it's not their words. It's your words. It's the words of the living God. Help us to receive it as such, Lord. And help us to be convicted by them, Lord. Help us to be encouraged by them. Help us, Lord, that we might be better fit servants of Jesus Christ because of our time here this day. It's that he would be lifted up, magnified, and glorified in the earth that we seek your blessing this day, Lord. And it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. Brother Eric, come and lead us in some singing. Find a Burgundy hymn book, if you will. I invite you to turn to number 524 as we open up the worship of God this morning. Great God, attend while Zion sings the joy that from thy presence springs. Number 
Amen. Amen. The psalmist David knew his place in the house of God and understood the great importance of the kingdom of God and its visible representation here on earth and our participation in it. And I hope that you today, even without our pastor here, will appreciate and understand your role that you play in the kingdom of God and in particular in this body of believers in Greenville. Let's fulfill that role and let's praise God to our, our fullest ability and enthusiasm and worship Him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Eric. We'll sing a, uh, some more in just a few moments. I want to welcome everyone to our service this day. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you're among friends. Found it interesting driving into uh, our services today and having read uh, a few um, blogs out there, the debate that some people have as to you know, whether services should be held today or not. And um, again, they, you know, uh, I'm just thankful that the Lord has revealed to us his truth. I find it interesting that even as, a, as the Lord was starting to work with me as a young man, um, it always struck me, even when my family celebrated Christmas, it didn't seem quite right. Here we are celebrating Christ's birth, and we're giving gifts to each other. I don't know too many instances where I would go to a party for someone for their birthday and, you know, not give them a present, you know. And especially today, as we were driving in and seeing a number of congregations of different orders that we passed on the way that, it, you know, normally there would be people there getting ready, and obviously they weren't going to be having services today. And uh, my wife made the comment, well, obviously family is more important. Can you tell me why anything should be more important than Jesus Christ? You know, and I would think that today of all days would be a day that you'd want to give him a present back if this was his birthday indeed. Again, we should be thankful, brethren, for the Lord's deliverance for us from such things. Deborah and Brother Jerry are ill today. Brother Jerry had wanted, he was scheduled to be speaking in our second service. He will not be with us today. We need to remember them in prayer. Uh, and as he told me uh, both last night and this morning, uh, in, on his, uh, when he called me to let me know that he confirmed that he would not be here today, that uh, if it was just up to him, he could be here, but he's got some new responsibilities, doesn't he? And we're very thankful for those responsibilities, not just of having a wife, but of having a daughter to take care of. We want to continue to remember and be thankful for the many good things the Lord has done for us. And the birth of Elizabeth is a great blessing, both for that family and for us as a congregation. So Brother Jerry's home taking care of both a sick wife and not a sick daughter, but obviously a daughter that needs some care (laughs) until she's much older. Again, think of the goodness of God in that, brethren. We come into this world totally helpless. We need somebody to teach us to do the simplest matters. Walk. Eat. You know, how to go to the bathroom without soiling ourselves. I mean, for a long time, that little Elizabeth is going to need both Jerry and Deborah's help. And it's the blessing of God, the mercy of God, the kindness and goodness of God that provided them for her. And to be, more importantly, guides for their future. And as we think about that and rejoice in their blessing, that should remind us that our parents of the responsibility that we have. No matter what the age of our children, we're still responsible for being a guide to them, for being a helper for them, 
for being an example to them. And oh, doesn't that hurt? Doesn't that hurt when we think about that? Because we're not always the examples we ought to be. But the Lord, again, is kind and merciful and helping us to overcome even our frailties. The youth will meet this evening at 5 o'clock at Philip's house. And in Jerry's absence, uh, Brother Nathan will be assisting there and taking care of that. It's already been mentioned, we want to be sure and remember our brother and sister that are away for some rest and recreation and uh, ask that the Lord would uh, grant them a good time of rest. As we said today, we will be having, in the absence of our pastor, seven brothers who will be speaking to us. In our first service, Brother Ed Eldridge will be the first to speak. He will be followed by Brother Zach Pipkin. Then Brother Paul Crosby will be speaking. And then Brother Matthew, Matthew Eastland. Those are the men that the Lord has selected for us this morning. You say, well, didn't they volunteer? Yeah, they volunteered. Don't you believe the Lord controls the ends and the means? It's the Lord who put in their heart the desire to speak. It's the Lord who gave them, if they have anything worth hearing at all, it's the Lord who gave them those thoughts. It's the Lord who will bless their efforts. So we look forward to hearing from you, brethren, this morning. Brother Eric will come and lead us in a a song or two. And then uh, once he's done, Brother Ed, if you'd please come. And we'll look forward to hearing what the Lord has to say through you this day. Brother Eric. I invite you to turn in your red hymn books now to number 295. 295. Crown him with many crowns. Red hymn books number 295. Crown him with many crowns.
Amen. Amen. As we sing another song, be yours the high pleasure to sound forth his praise and crown him with each of your songs. He deserves it. Let's do it. Turn in your Burgundy hymn books, if you will, to a song that uh, Brother Ed would like us to consider before he speaks to us first. And that's number 89. Show pity, Lord. Father in heaven, as we worship thee this morning, we dedicate these efforts and the thoughts of our minds and the intents of our hearts to thee in support of thy great kingdom and in worship of thy son, Jesus Christ. 
We're grateful for the grace that He has shown in each of our lives and in this life of this congregation. We see it evidenced every day when we wake up, for great is Thy faithfulness. Amen. Father, we would ask today that You would pardon us of our sins, and that You would cleanse our hearts as we worship Thee, that it might be done in spirit and in truth with clean hands and innocent minds before Thee. Father, we would ask that You would bless each of the men that are speaking this morning that you would bless their preparations, that your spirit would guide their thoughts, that they would utter words that are free from error and that are consistent with your word, and that we would rejoice as a congregation before thee this morning as we hear thy great love and thy great kindness and thy duties explained before us. Father, our trust is in thee. Be with us now. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Brother Ed will be followed by Brother Zach. We'll sing a hymn, and then Paul and Matthew. A couple of weeks ago, our pastor read Psalm 99, and it's really stuck with me since then. Um, Come from an Armenian background, and like many, we were taught God forgives, Lord forgives, ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive you, and it was kind of left at that. So if you commit a sin, you ask for forgiveness, it's done, it's gone, you're in good shape, move forward. Well, that's about half the story. I asked one of my grandchildren this morning, if you sin, do you know that God still might be punishing you 30 years from now? It might still be coming up 40 years from now. Your sin might keep coming up into your face and doing things. Because our Lord is not just the Lord of love, he's also the Lord of vengeance and wrath, as we had in the song we just sang. In Psalm 99... I read the whole psalm, but I particularly want one area. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Then the area that really struck with me. Moses and Aaron, among his priests, and Samuel, among them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answeredest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast the God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance on their inventions. Right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Amen. What really jumped out at me was, you forgave them. Right. However, he took vengeance. He still had wrath that had to come. And for Moses, I'm going to do Moses, David, and Paul. I picked three. wanted to get one in the New Testament. Moses in Numbers 28 through 12, the Lord tells him, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together. He's giving him direct directions. And thou and your brother Aaron, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. Told him exactly what he wanted him to do. Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. So far, so good. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, 
must we. I want to especially catch the word we. He didn't say must God. He said must we. I don't know for sure, but is there some pride there? Fetch you water out of this rock. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock, not once, but twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their beasts also. Then the Lord spake to him. Right. This is the same man that had brought the, his flock out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the wilderness. Was this a huge thing that he did here? I don't know. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. I go back to we instead of God. Therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Right. Seemed like a minor sin in a way, doesn't it, what he did? Well, he gets to die in the wilderness. He doesn't get to go to the promised land. Do you think Moses asked for forgiveness for having done that for the next however many years? I suspect he did. Didn't change anything. And we have David, man after God's own heart. More is written about David than anybody else in the Bible. Right. In Samuel 2, 11, 26, this is after. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. What did David do? And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house. And she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. As you all know, he had her husband murdered. Then the Lord sends Nathan to him. Nathan gives him a story about somebody else. And David wants that person taken care of in no uncertain terms. And Nathan tells him, I'm talking about you. And in 12.10, he says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. He's speaking for the Lord, Nathan. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He's acknowledging his sin. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. He's telling him he's forgiven. The Lord has forgiven him. He's going to go to heaven. But his first son, the Lord took because he said he was going to. As punishment. So he was still punished, even though he had been forgiven. Right. We have Paul, our beloved apostle, in a number of places. When Jesus spoke to him, he said, your way is going to be hard. This is going to be hard for you because of the way you treated my children and my people. I'm going to read this right out of here because there were too many to list. For me. So what happens to Paul? Did he love the Lord? Sure he did. Was he sorry for what he did? Yes, he was. This is what happens to Paul. They plotted to kill him in Damascus, Acts 9.24. And in Jerusalem, Acts 9.29. Drove him out of Antioch, 
attempted to stone him in Iconium, did stone him and leave him for dead in Lystra. In Philippi, they beat him with rods and put him in stocks. In Thessalonica, the Jews and rabble tried to mob him. They drove him out of Berea, plotted against him in Corinth. In Ephesus, they almost killed him. In Corinth again, shortly after he had written this epistle, they plotted his death. In Jerusalem again, they would have made a quick end of him except for the Roman soldiers. Then he was imprisoned in Caesarea for two years and two more in Rome. There were other beatings, imprisonment, shipwrecks. Finally, he's taken to Rome and killed as a criminal. There are two side, more than one side to our God. If you sin and are truly repentant and ask for forgiveness, he will. Doesn't mean you're not going to pay for it later. Doesn't mean it's going to be over soon. I know a number of men in this church who are still paying for sins they committed 30, 40 years ago. Lord has a reason. And I took this from one of Jonathan's sermons that he did in 2003. And he could do it for chastening. Marriage out of the Lord can be judged anywhere and brings home division. Poor child training might bring judgment. Loving pleasure might bring judgment. Poor preparation for worship will bring judgment. Extra sleep could bring God's chastening. And some sins have long-term consequences. And many men in this church and some of the women have experienced some of these. Consider education. If you're not prepared by getting education when you're young, you're going to pay for it when when you're older. Marriage. Marry out of the Lord. Your life is going to be really miserable. Marry an ungracious woman or an ungracious man. That's not short term. You can ask for forgiveness, but that's something you'll live with as long as your spouse is alive. If you don't have money during your life, it's pretty much your fault because you haven't followed the Lord's precepts. You didn't get the education, you didn't save, you didn't follow what the Lord tells you to. If you commit a crime, I assure you, that will follow you for the rest of your life. doesn't matter how small or how major. It will affect you trying to get a job. It will affect where you're allowed to live. Another one that doesn't go away. You need a transferable skill. And the fact that you're obeying the Lord now... Because Paul certainly did, Moses did, David did most of the time, didn't change anything. He's still punished. And I'm especially for the young people in this church because I know that they hear you are forgiven your sins if you repent and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. I mentioned that to one of my grandchildren this morning, and then I told her, you know, if you do something, you might be punished still by the time you get to be my age. I didn't think her eyes could get quite so big. They were like this. You mean if I commit a sin, the Lord still might be punishing me? And to her, I'm older than dirt, so it's forever. Yeah, he might. But we have the great hope because the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. We know that when we die, our sins are forgiven. We know that if you're his, you're still going to go to heaven. But while you're on this earth... You may pay a price for it. So if it seems like a simple thing, and sin usually starts with a little tiny step, 
David, first thing he did was glance over, saw Bathsheba. What if he had looked away quickly? What if he hadn't decided to look the second time? Right. That's how almost all sin starts. There are a million things he could have done to end that. Could have sent someone and told her she could never do that again. Don't be out there again. That way he doesn't even have to work very hard at not sinning. So my warning is be careful. Don't think that just because you pray it's going to be gone and there's no price to pay. Right. The hope is that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us and that we're going to spend eternity with him. Psalms 144 says, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight, my goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust. He is our defense. You guys tired? You guys sleepy? You ready to go home, go to bed, catch up on some sleep like everybody else is right now? Anybody want to go put a green tree up and... Have some presents underneath them, open them up? No? We're going to talk about a war and a fight that's going on right now. <clears throat> you can't see it. It's happening right now. It's all around us. It's everywhere we go. Even in the pews right now, in the house of God, it takes place. But you know what? My goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, and, in, and he in whom I trust. Dave could say this boldly. He knows what persecution was. He knows what fights were. He knows what battles were. And, the, and David trusted in the Lord. Right. Blessed be the Lord, my strength, which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Yes. What are you doing right now to sharpen yourself? What are you doing? We have Ephesians. We have the New Testament. Paul, everywhere in the New Testament. Why does he say, why does he call it the armor of God? Put on the armor of God. What's that all about? I don't want to fight. I'm a Christian. I'm a lover. Put on the armor of God. Let me tell you something. 50 million plus martyrs. They know what persecution is. They know what trials are. And you know what? They had faith. Their faith overcame the world. That's what it says in 1 John. Where do we have the victory? Our, our victory is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it overcomes the world. The world comes against us. You know what? Satan has changed his tactics in this warfare. He would come out against the physical man. That's easy. And we say it's easy. I guarantee you not one of us in here could tolerate or endure what the saints endured hundreds of years ago, or even a hundred years ago. Arnie Gamalong, the people that are over there in the Philippines and Malaysia, I'm sure they have a, a better idea of what trials and tribulations are about. Right. They're faced with it. We, the Lord, the, the, the Satan, Satan, the devil, the roaring lion that is going in between these pews right now, casting imaginations in there. Hey, what does it say in Corinthians? Huh? Is our warfare carnal? No, it's not. What do we do? We cast down these imaginations. Bring everything in the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's one of our tactics. That's one of our tools, our weapons. Are we doing that all the time? We have this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Are we fighting back? Are we just sitting there tired? We go to work. Oh, I did my, I, thank you, Lord, for my portion of my lot. You know, yeah, you can be thankful and happy. I then go home and see your wife and kids. Are you fighting? Are you training them up? Are you bringing them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Are you giving them the tools to fight the fight? Because the boundaries, the ancient landmarks are being moved. You know why? Because men are not standing up and fighting. The good fight. It's a good fight. Rollin, I asked you if you were tired this morning. You tired? You ready to pull your feet up and give up the ghost, buddy? 
You still got some fight in you? It's a good fight. Right? That's what Paul called it. Paul told Timothy, he exhorted Timothy. He gave him, he told him based upon the prophecies and went before on him that he might war a good war. There's a, there's a war, ladies and gentlemen. This is serious business. This is not a playground. This is not a game. The Lord said, my people perish in Hosea 4.6. My people perish. They're destroyed for lack of knowledge. The armor of God, what do we have? What's it based upon? The Word of God. Every single bit of it. Right? The sword, the shield, the helmet, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt. Everything is based upon the Word and how much you know about it. Your fight, the degree in which you fight in war and wage your war is based upon the degree in which you spend time in this Word. And how you keep it. The Lord Jesus Christ told His apostles to watch and pray. Watch and pray. He said the what? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How about you? Is the spirit willing, or is the flesh willing and the spirit weak? Which one is it? There's a lot of verses I had written down. And I could sit here, I could spend all day long. And I know how John feels about giving a tenth, a tithe. I'm going to tell you something. we got a great man that God has given us. We have a great weapon in our arsenal. Even a man that sits there and has the understanding and knowledge that he's given them, that plows, this ox that plows for us. And if you listen and apply it, the Lord's made it so easy for us. First of all, he gave us the weapons. He told us how to use them. It's almost like he spoiled and already has the victory over death and hell. He's already won the fight. Before we even start, we've got the victory. That's right. And we get overcome, these little trials and tribulations on the work, 385 to 85, somebody cuts me off, going too slow in the fast line. Wow, what a persecution, what a trial. <laughs> Feet are cut off before I even start. That's trail of blood, read some martyr books that we have. It's, they know what trials are. That'll get you, and then humility, that'll humble you, and he will lift you up. And that's what we need to do, we need to humble ourselves. We're soft. He's changed his tactics. He's lulling us to sleep with all this comfort and his pleasure. It would do us good to go without some things, ladies and gentlemen. It would do us good to separate ourselves and intermeddle with all wisdom. Some encouraging verses that I find. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Right. Are we doing that daily? Are we putting on the whole armor of God daily? Are we getting in the Word so we know it? Building ourselves up, eating some meat, some bread, getting some strength, some living waters. Are we feeding ourselves so we can get in the fight? Are we wasting away? 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, in the way, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Amen. Did you know that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution? Right. Ladies and gentlemen, he told us this. It's no surprise. Don't be surprised. Right. Guess where? Guess how you make your calling and election sure? 
It's through the trials and tribulations that He gives us and how we respond to them. Amen. The, it's beautiful. It's, it's the Lord's system. He set it up. He gave us everything we need. He gave us His Word. Oh, are you in trouble? Do you have a trial or a temptation or something that's too heavy for you? He makes a back door. Right. He makes a way to escape it. Amen. And it's common. It's nothing out of the ordinary. Is it something new? No, Satan hadn't come up with anything new since the world's begun. Right. The Lord's given us everything. It's amazing how weak we are. And I speak for myself. I, I'm talking about myself. Romans 13, 11 through 14. Verse 11, put on the armor of light. Verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. First right. Peter 2, 11, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. Hebrews 12, verse 4. Men like to be all macho and sh- pull up their sleeves, pant legs, lift up the shirt, show some scars. They like showing scars. You know what I want to see? I want to see some scars. I want to see some scars where you've resisted sin to bloodshed. That's right. And I, I'm saying this to myself, guys. You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. We need to lift up the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit ye like men. Be strong. Right. Sounds like Joshua. Be strong and have good courage. Amen. It's going to take some courage. We have hope. He gives us hope in these things. It gives us hope, peace. We can go through these things. He tells us to rejoice. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Jude told us, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Cont- right. Earnestly contend means to struggle, compete, fight, labor fervently. Why do we need to earnestly contend? People are moving those ancient landmarks. Right. That ravenous, that roaring lion is throwing fiery darts and he's devouring people. Christians, brothers and sisters. We've seen it in our pews. We have people forsaking the assembly of the saints. They, they are leaving. They're getting devoured. They're getting beaten. We need to encourage each other, build each other up. Amen. If we see these things. I have weaknesses, and I promise you there's a good bit of people that know what they are. Hey, build me up, I'll build you up. Let's exhort one another while it's called today. Right. Romans eight eighteen. Sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not even worthy. Whatever trials or temptations that we could possibly think of or have or have gone through aren't even worthy of what is to be revealed. He says in 8.35, we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and ex- ex- eternal weight of glory. Amen. Some pretty, pretty encouraging verses. So again, I ask you, are you tired today? Are you tired of fighting? Tired of battling, tired of warring? I sure hope not. Amen. Let me give you some encouraging, encouraging psalms here from David. Starting Psalms three, we'll read the whole thing. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. 
But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. I said, I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, my God, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Amen. The Lord is good. We can call upon Him. He delivers us. He delivered us from all our sins. Psalm 34. Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Amen. Verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Right. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Right. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Don't act surprised. Right. You know what? He even tells us who our enemies are. He tells us. We have Satan, the devil. He tells us what his tactics are. He tells us that we shall have enemies of our own families. Our children, our wives, husbands, extended family. Are you surprised when they walk out? The Lord told you ahead of time. But guess what? Rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Can we do that? Can we honestly rejoice like Paul did? I'm going to tell you what it takes. It takes a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ like Paul had. And if we don't do this, if the reason why we don't fight and the reason why we are lazy and complacent and are lulled to sleep and the ancient landmarks are being moved is because we don't have the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was on the road to Damascus. The Lord revealed Himself in a blinding glory. Changed His life. He was willing to suffer anything. You look, He suffered... A lot. Our brother mentioned he was stoned to death, left on a heap. He came back to life and went right back to the city or town where the people were after him and and confirmed the disciples. He strengthened his brothers after that trial. Right. Let's go through these trials and get up and go strengthen our brethren. Amen. Hebrews 11, 32 through 38. This convicts me. A great bit. And what shall I what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. There's those lions again. Old Daniel stopped some mouths of lions, didn't he, with his faith? He knew some trials. Quenched the violence of the fire. Well, hold on a second. Escape the edge of the sword out of weakness were made strong. Wax valiant and fight. There's that fight. Turn to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Tortured and praising the Lord all the while in the fire. Honestly, <laughs> is the fire in your life right now, could it even compare to the fire that they were praising the Lord in? Really. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. 
They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. You know what? Are there going to be people when we're dead and gone down the road saying, you know what? The world was not worthy of these saints. Right. Uh, can, do we have that testimony? The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And, all, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. I hope they're not ashamed when I get there. Right. I hope I can look to the Lord Jesus Christ, call upon Him, the rock that is higher than I, and be faithful in these trials. I hope that we all can do that. We have, again, the Word, your, your hope, your peace, your strength in these trials all comes from this Word. And the more you know it, the more we can handle And I promise you this, you separate yourself and you draw close to the Lord like Paul did, oh, buddy, you're going to learn what trials and tribulations are. Right. You fade away, you sit there and you be lax and complacent, you won't know. But I promise you this, separate yourself. Intermeddle with all wisdom. You go after the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're going to find out what temptations and trials are because they're coming. Because it clearly states, you're going to live godly in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall suffer persecution. But you know what? Rejoice. It's perfecting us. That's what He uses. It's the fire that refines us. Lord, we bless Your holy name. We pray that we would be stronger. And... That's all I have. Pray that he was glorified in doing so. Amen. We'll sing 597. 597 in our Burgundy hymn books. Cast down but not destroyed. 597. Now in thy
Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Brother Paul, please, followed by Brother Matthew Eastland. Thank you, Zach, for those excellent words on the warfare of the Christian. Amen. You know, when you look at in Ephesians 6 and you see the armor that the Christians put on, what is the Christian doing with that armor on? Verse 18 tells us, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Amen. I'd like to speak unto you today on prayer. The power of prayer. You know, at the end of the year, it is good for us as Christians to look back and reflect on this past year. You know, what have we done for the Lord? What have we accomplished as Christians in our lives? Right. What have we done in terms of prayer? Have we prayed consistently this past year? Have we made prayer a priority in our life? Have we prayed regularly? Have we prayed for the needs that we know of in our church and our family? Right. I'd like to ask you today, think about this past year. And in terms of going into a new year, what are we going to do next year? Have we prayed like we should have this past year, and we're going to do better in the year 2012? Are we going to make prayer the priority that it ought to be for each of us? Prayer should be a priority. That's what the, that's what the Christian was doing with his armor on in Ephesians 6. He was praying always with all prayer and supplication for all saints. Lord, help us to do better next year, and let's, let us reflect on what we've done in the past. And think about this, why we should pray and why prayer should be a priority for us. Hey, don't we have needs? We all have many needs. We should pray because of the needs we have. That's the way, that's what we should do. We have needs, spiritual needs, needs of walking with the Lord better, walking closer to Christ, loving the brethren more. We have needs in this natural world of things that we have need of in our lives, our children, our families, our jobs, our employment, our physical bodies. We have many needs. We should pray because of that. The Lord asks us to come to him in prayer. Think about that, the fact that prayer can accomplish much. James 5.16 is a a great verse. If you remember any verse I mentioned this morning, remember James 5.16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, availeth much. If the Holy Spirit tells us it avails much, how much do you think that is? A little bit or a lot? A lot. It avails much. We can accomplish more through prayer in our lives than any personal effort we put forth. Right. you got to believe that. We can accomplish much more through prayer than through doing anything of ourselves. If you, have a, if you have some job you need, sure you go out and look for a job. But if you pray, the Lord's going to help you get there a lot faster. That's right. If God created the worlds, then he can do anything you need. Amen. He can give you anything you desire. He's the creator God. He has unlimited power. The Lord said this to Abraham, Is there anything too hard for me? Remember that? He was there talking to Abraham, and Sarah was in the tent. And the Lord told Abraham, I'm going to visit you next year, and you're going to have a son by Sarah. And she heard him in the tent. She kind of laughed to herself, Come on, am I going to have a son 
who am old, through this old man? Not a chance. And her faith was weak right then. Of course, the Lord heard her, laughing in her heart, and he said to Abraham, hey, why does she laugh? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Of course, that's a rhetorical question. It demands a negative answer. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. And Sarah found that out, didn't she? Nine months later. Praise the Lord for that. Why should we pray? Why should prayer be a priority for us? Our Father in Heaven wants to help us. He wants to help us. He's not reluctant. He's a very willing Heavenly Father who wants to give us those good things. Think about Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil, knew how, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Amen. The Holy Spirit, the ultimate of gifts, and he'll give that Holy Spirit to those that ask because he wants to. Right. And the other passage in the other gospel says to give good gifts to his children. We should pray because he wants to help us. We should make prayer a priority. Our Heavenly Father wants to give us those things that we need, have need of. He's much more caring than any ruler on earth, our Heavenly Father is. And he'll do much better than anybody else could in this world. If you think about the unjust judge in Luke 18, now he, for a while, didn't want to help the widow. But she bothered him by her incessant coming, her importunate coming. She bothered him. And so ultimately, reluctantly, he did help her. But our Heavenly Father is not that way. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry night and day unto him, though he bear along with them? He wants to help his elect. He wants to help his elect in those things they have need of. Not like the reluctant, unjust judge. Amen. Why should we pray? Because our Heavenly Father wants us to have a carefree life. Do you believe that? A carefree life. He wants us to. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried about anything in life. The Lord wants us to live a carefree life. Psalm 127, 2 says, It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. If you trust in the Lord, he'll give you the safety and the prosperity spoken of in verse 1 of Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. We should make prayer a priority because the Lord wants us to live that carefree life. Amen. And remember, the Lord has made himself vulnerable to prayer. He has made prayer the vehicle by which we can tap into his power, if you will. We can gain his ear through prayer. Remember Jacob wrestling with the Lord? The Lord could have pinned him any time he wanted, right? If he had chosen to, but the Lord had made himself vulnerable to Jacob in that wrestling match. And so Jacob, the Lord says, he prevailed. Can you believe that? Jacob prevailed in prayer and said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Right. Wow. 
the Lord made himself vulnerable. And therefore, he blessed Jacob, changed his name, and made him a great man there with a nation of Israel after him. The prince with God, he was called. The reason we may be lacking in spiritual grace, in spiritual blessings, in closeness with the Lord, and natural blessings, perhaps we don't ask. He have not because he asked not. Right. We should pray because the Lord tells us we got to ask to get. And so therefore we should. These are reasons why prayer should be a priority for us. It's something that we should do daily, regularly, often. Asking the Lord for the things that we have need of. That we might walk more closely with him in this world and might have the natural blessings that he's willing and wanting to give us if we'll but ask and depend on him. Think about the power of prayer as in examples in the Bible. Oh, there's many good examples. This should, you know, spur you on to want to pray more, to see some of these examples. And we have seen them in this church. We've seen many of them. But we can see more and we have the days ahead to call upon the Lord for more blessings. But think of the examples of powerful prayer in the Bible. You need a spouse. We've seen many spouses in the past. We'll have many more spouses in the future that are needed for these children. Do we need a spouse? Think about Abraham. You know, here Isaac was 40 years old. He needed a a wife, but there was no wife around. There was no wife available in Canaan. Abraham knew that. There was no possible possibility on the horizon for Isaac to have a wife. So he sent his, his servant back home, and not knowing anybody back then, was hoping, praying that the Lord would give that, that servant a wife to bring back to Isaac. And the Abra- and Abraham's servant was a great man of faith, just like Abraham was. And he travels all the way back to Mesopotamia, and he's sitting outside the city, around the well, knowing that the damsels would come out at the end of the day to get their water. And he said, Lord... You know, he asked a hard thing. This is almost like Elisha asking for a double portion of Elijah's servant. He said, Lord, the lady that comes out and I say, give me a drink of water. And she then says, yes, I'll give you a drink and I'll water your camels. May that lady be the one that I have for Isaac. Wow, what a request. He didn't ask for the drink for the camels. She would offer that. And that was a difficult task. I mean, they can drink a few gallons and there were 10 camels. So we had a lot of water being drawn. Anyway, you know, Rebecca came out, and she was a beautiful woman. And, and, and Isaac, Isaac, rather, Abraham's servant went up to her and said, Hey, you know, I need a drink. Will you give me a drink? And she goes, Sure. And I'll, and I'll offer your camel's water also. I'll pull for them as well. And, you know, he then talked to her a little bit for, a little more, and pretty soon he falls on, the, on his face and worships the Lord for his goodness in providing a wife that fast. Incredible. You need a spouse. The Lord is able to give spouses just like that, just that fast, for those that trust in him and wait for him. Do you have difficult health? I mean, think about Hezekiah. I mean, here he was locked up in Jerusalem. Sennacherib had taken all the fenced cities of Judah, and he was in the, he was inside Jerusalem, and he was sick. He was sick unto death. And on top of that, Isaiah had come by and said, Get your house in order, you're going to die. 
And what did Hezekiah do? Did he say, okay, I'll get my house in order and get ready to give up the ghost? No, he turned his face to the wall and prayed, and the Lord heard him. And before Isaiah had gotten out of his house, the the word came to him to come back and tell him, I'm going to get 15 more years. And Hezekiah blessed the Lord for that. What a great answer to prayer quickly for failed health. Look at what Jabez asked for. He asked the Lord to bless him indeed and to give him a sheltered life. The only thing we know about Jabez in the whole of the Bible. But the Lord granted him his request. Powerful prayer. Prayer that moved the Lord to great things. Look at, look at the prayer over nations. Daniel in, in chapter 9 of Daniel prayed knowing that the 70 years would come to an end. He prayed the Lord would move and bring his people back to Israel and raise up Jerusalem again and raise up the temple. And, you know, before he was done praying, the, the angel was coming to him. Right. And the angel answered that request and gave him the 70-year the, the prophecy that we read about in Daniel chapter 9. And, and pretty soon Cyrus made that decree. And back went the Jews to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. Daniel was praying there in Daniel 9. A great prayer. Now, that wouldn't have been normal to have King Cyrus let the Jews go back to Israel. That wouldn't have happened normally. But the Lord blessed that to come to pass because of a godly man praying in Daniel 9. Conceiving children. You know, we've had, we sometimes have that need in this church, don't we? Think about Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She was under great trouble. And her, her, the other wife had had six children, and she had none. She was barren. And she came to Shiloh, and she cried and wept before the Lord. And Eli told her that the Lord had hurt her. And she went back home, and she had Samuel, and she gave him the Lord. But what a great answer for a, a woman who was barren and could not have children. Right. Think about the jobs and businesses of Nehemiah in that book of the Bible. He had heard that Jerusalem, he was still he was still over there in Persia. He had heard that Jerusalem was still in ruins, and he was troubled in soul for that. And he came before the king, and he made his petition before the king to be able to go back and help to rebuild Jerusalem. And the king allowed that and blessed him with means to do right. that. Think about Moses in, in Exodus, who wanted to see the Lord a little more personally, a little more closely, even face to face. And the Lord blessed him to have a a view of the Lord and to see his goodness and his mercy and his compassion and his backside in a way that others have never have. What a prayer for godliness by Moses. And think of Solomon in 1 Kings 3. He was a young man. He knew he didn't have the wisdom for the job. But he was now king of Israel. And he begged the Lord to grant him wisdom because he said, I am but a little child. I don't know how to come in or go out among this so great a people. And the Lord gave him his request and riches and honor and peace and a long life. Can you beat that? The Lord gave him much more beyond his request because he prayed for a good thing, for wisdom. And there are many more examples of the power of prayer. That should encourage us. Should it not? 
Shouldn't that encourage us to want to make prayer a greater priority in this new year than we have this past year? To pray more often, to pray more regularly, to pray more powerfully, to beg the Lord to hear us in the requests that we need for our souls and spirits and our congregation here and our families. Powerful prayer. When we pray fervently, as the verse says, remember James 5.16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual is effective, following the requirements of the Bible for effective prayer. And if you want more to read on that, the Bible's full of it, and there's, there's sermon outlines on the website about what we should include in our prayers to make them effective, to make them effectual, according to James 5.16. Right. One of those things is to, be, is to do it fervently, to pray with great earnestness of heart and spirit, perhaps coupled with, with tears, or by length of prayer, or by fasting. To pray fervently is to make our prayers more powerful for the Lord. To pray righteously, again, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Therefore, we should pray righteously to be powerful with the Lord in prayer. And pray importunately. That is, that the importunate is a word from Luke 11. It means to pray with insistence, in an urgent manner, without quitting. If you combine that all, you have importunate. And to pray powerfully, assisted by, assisted by the Spirit of God. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, we read that the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit through intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit helps us to have powerful prayer with the Lord. We've seen this morning why prayer should be a priority for us. The great examples of the, in, the, in the Bible that show powerful prayer and what we can expect if we pray and beseech the Lord for help and how we can pray powerfully through praying fervently, righteously, importunately, and through the Spirit. You know, I trust this brief reminder will be an encouragement to each one of us. If we don't do anything else in the new year, if we pray more powerfully right. and with a greater priority and a greater emphasis in our lives, that the Lord can be with us, strengthen us, bless us, to walk with him, to love him more, to love each other within this congregation and for all the natural needs we have. The Lord's able. He right. wants to help us. Amen. He wants to strengthen us. May we make prayer more of an emphasis and a higher priority in the days ahead than we have. The Lord be with us. Amen. Uh, before I begin, allow me to apologize to you, brethren, in advance, because I don't think that I can do what I have to say to you justice. I don't think I can express completely what's on my heart, because it's been on my heart for a very long time. It's something that troubles me, to be honest, greatly. And uh, I only pray that the Lord helps move a heart today. And if the only heart that he moves is mine, then he'll have done his work. And I pray that he receives honor and glory from it. What I'd like to talk to you about today is being an exceptional Christian. And specifically, since there are many ways in which you can 
attain being exceptional. What are you doing for God? That's what I want to ask you today. And first of all, to understand what is being exceptional, we have to ask what is average. The average person does, in any pursuit of life, the average person does what is required of them, the bare minimum. They maintain the image for others around them of exactly what they want. They go to work, they do just enough to meet their quota, to meet the requirements to please their master. Well, if you want to be exceptional at work, what do you do? You go above and beyond the bare minimum. You put more effort into it. You work to achieve something greater than just what you have to. The same is true of the Christian life. You can be an average Christian. Now, to be honest, that's really not acceptable to God in the first place. But we're going to put it in a framework that we understand here as men. What is the average Christian? What is the bare minimum? Well, you put up a fight with sin. You try your best not to do that. I mean, we all fall. Even even exceptional Christians fall at times. Right. You know, we, we show up at church and we listen and uh, we participate as much as expected of us. We look around and we see what everyone else is doing and we do what we need to do in order to meet the requirements so that nobody thinks something wrong of us. Now, now let me ask, uh, is, is your boss pleased with you when you just do the bare minimum? When you just achieve what... what you're setting out to do, your boss might be kind of pleased with you, but he would not be pleased with you the way that he would be with someone exceptional. Do you think the God of heaven is pleased with you giving him the average amount? As it speaks in Malachi 1.8 about bringing God sacrifices. But the sacrifices being brought are, are, are the sacrifices he wants. It's, it's the lambs he wants. It, it's the first fruit he wants. But it's lame. It's halt, it's blind, it's flawed. God considers that unacceptable. It's giving him the average. God wants the best. And so, I want to look with you today at a way that you can give God more, that you can do things for him. And I'd ask that you would turn to Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14, and we're going to look at something here. Because there's the, there are many things that we can do. And I want to give us something simple. And this is the thing that scares me because I look at this passage and some of the passage related, related to it and I realize how horribly I fail. And it's been on my mind and my conscience of a lot. And I want to convey as much of that to you as I can. Matthew chapter 25 starting at verse 14 is the parable of the talents. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Now I hope that you don't need the rest of the passage, that you understand what's here, that he gave each of them their amounts, and they were supposed to do something with it. And the one with five returned ten, and one with the one with two returned four, and the one with one buried it in the sand to return one. And how was the master when he returned? What did he have to say about that? The first two were blessed, and the third cursed. 
Now, if you look at this passage, the talents here are not what we would call talents today. It's a monetary term. It's an amount. But that is an image in this passage. Look specifically, though, at verse 15. Why were they given the amounts they were given? Was it just some arbitrary decision on the part of the Lord? No. It was because of their several ability. Now, several, again, is a biblical word. It means separate. Each had a separate ability, and God gave them something, or in this case, the Lord gave them something based on their separate abilities. God has given us all things based on our separate abilities. What are we doing with them? We have a responsibility. Now, we can just maintain them. Now, some people today would just throw them away. They would lose them. They would squander what they were given. Some will return to the Lord exactly what they were given. And then some will invest on that. The Lord has given us each thing. And that's what I want to look at is what have we been given and what can we do with it? What are we doing with what we have? How can we excel? Now, Luke twelve forty eight tells us that to whom much is given, much is required. Yes. To whom much is committed, more will be asked of them. So I'm, it's very simple. I want to be as practical as I can here. And I'm going to be as fast as I can. What are you doing with what God's given you? Because you are already so blessed. You're, you live in this country. Right. You live in plenty. You live in wealth. You live in peace and prosperity. What are you doing with those things? You have the freedom to worship as you choose. Are you using that? What do you do with your work? Work is a privilege. Work is not a right. Are you using your work to glorify God? Or are you just going along, you know, you're pleasing your master because God tells you to please your master. Do you step beyond that and take your work as an opportunity to spread the glory of God? You can please your master because you're pleasing your master, or you can please your master because you're pleasing God. And others can see that. Others can see how you speak, how you treat others. Do you just keep your head down at your desk and do your work and complete it on time and do it to the best of your ability? Or do you take that time, the people around you, and do you influence them for God? What do you do with your speech? Now, speech is a powerful thing. You can tear others down. You can build them up. In your conversations with others, do they see the love of God? Do they see the word of God? Do you take this thing in your mouth and use it to teach the gospel to others? Not just the people here. If you have other people around you in your life, are you preaching the gospel to them in what you do? Right. Are you excelling? It's a very simple question. If you have the ability to speak, then you have a responsibility to use it for God. He has given you an investment in physical capability. Are you paying back on that investment? What are you doing with your money? Your money is not just there to support you. Right. Your money is there to show God in some ways. Do you give it to help others? The Bible talks about how we should save and have money to give to those in need. Right. Do we do that? Do I do that? What do we do with our effort? Where does our effort lie? Is it towards our own pursuits or is it towards the pursuits of God? Right. You have a choice in what you do with your day. Yes, I know we're all busy. I understand that. Some of us are far more busy than others. Some are far more busy than me. I know that. But where do you put your effort? Is it towards your own pursuits or is it towards doing something for the Lord? It's a choice you have. And... You've been given effort. You've been given strength. 
Some people have less strength than others. If you have strength, are you using it to give to God? Now, uh, if you if you want to look at it, there are two spiritual gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12. It goes through a long list of spiritual gifts, most of which we don't have anymore, but there are two of them that still exist. Helps and government. Those are spiritual gifts. The ability to lead others and the ability to help others. If God has given you those gifts, are you using them for him or are you just using them for your own ends? I'm sorry if this is, if, if this is hard to understand. I'm sorry if, if I'm not clear because I can look and see how much I've been blessed. I can look and see how much I've squandered. And I would ask, brethren, how much are we squandering once we, what we've been given? Right. The minds that we've been given to think. Do we think thoughts that glorify God? The time that we've been given in our lives. Do we invest any time back towards God, towards others of his brethren, his children? What are we doing? Brethren, we cannot please God by being average. We cannot be satisfied with being average. We should seek, desire, work with all our might to be exceptional. And it's simple. Give back to God what he's given you. Brethren, we have so much. I have so much. I failed miserably. I've accomplished nothing for God with my life. But he's given me this in my conscience, and he's given this for me to say to you. What are you doing? Are you putting your effort, your time, your speech, your work, your money, everything you have that he's given you because it's all from him, are you giving that back to him? Are you building on that investment? If you're not, even if you're just doing the bare minimum, you're only average. He deserves better than average. Brethren, give him his due. Give him what he has given you. Return his investment. He deserves it. And you should do the same. Thank you, Brother Ed, for reminding us that while our God is merciful, loving, and kind, and eternally, we'll never have to worry about anything that we've done in this life because Jesus Christ paid for it. Yet in this life, there are consequences to pay for sin. Be sure your sin will find you out, brethren. That's the reality. Especially for us that are his children. Because he loves us. And he wants us to be as much like him as possible. And sin is the opposite of that. Thank you for that reminder. Thank you, Brother Zach, for reminding us about the fact that we're not here on vacation. This is not R&R, as the military would say, rest and recreation time for us. This is warfare we're in. There is a war every day, brethren, for our thoughts, for our activities, for our desires. And we need to be fighting it and winning it, as our brother pointed out, for the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to be AWOL. We need to be involved in that fight. Thank you, Brother Paul, for reminding us of the most important thing that we can do. Yes, we ought to be doing a lot of things, brethren. We were admonished to that by these brothers, and I'm sure we'll get some more this afternoon. We have things we need to be doing. But the most powerful thing we can do is invoke the God of heaven and tell him what we need and offer up our activities and the meager efforts that we put forth to him and see how he will bless and magnify that effort himself. And thank you, son, for 
reminding us of the fact that we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 12, first couple of verses there. What are we giving back to the Lord? He's given us everything. Every breath we take naturally is because he's granted the ability to take it. Better than that, the fact that we have an eternal inheritance awaiting for us in heaven, what shouldn't we be giving him? We can never repay for the debt that he's paid for us. What are we doing to show forth that thanks that we have, that we should have for what he's done for us? Please stand with me. Our most gracious Father, we thank you for these reminders and these encouragements and these challenges we receive this day, Lord. Help them that they might be effective in our lives. Father, we thank you for the meal that we're about to partake of, Lord, for the food that's been prepared by loving hands for us. Lord, grant that that food would strengthen our bodies and we would use that strength, Lord, for your glory and honor. Father, grant that it might be a good time of fellowship that we enjoy now, one with another, that we might build each other up in this body that you've given us, your body, Lord, of this congregation. And Lord, be with the brethren that will speak to us in the second service that what they say, Lord, might impact us as well as what we've heard this morning, so that, Lord, we might be that pure bride that you're looking for, that the church of Greenville might be a church of Jesus Christ in deed and in truth. And, Lord, that you would be pleased with us. For it's to that end we ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed for our break.